Thank you, Parker and Catherine and instrumentalists and ensemble for beautiful worship today. Good to see some new faces today. Glad that you're here at First Baptist Church in person today. And we welcome those who watch by television and those who are live streaming with us. Really, we're getting folks from, from all over the nation, and we're, we're glad that you're watching us this morning. Turn your Bibles to the Lucan Gospel, Luke chapter 7, Dungeon Days, Luke chapter 7. His clothes were made of animal skin. As one author put it, his walls are the mountains and the stars are his ceiling. You remember John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. Why, his very birth had, had been a miracle. His mother Elizabeth was barren and old. The angel of the Lord appeared to her husband Zacharias and told him, Don't be afraid. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are going to name him John. And he's going to be a special boy. That's what the angel said. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. You'll have the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah. That's what Gabriel said to Zacharias. But old Zacharias just didn't believe. The angel made him mute, unable to speak until the day that John was born because he didn't believe the words of the angel of the Lord. When the baby was born, Zacharias motioned for them to bring a tablet, and they brought him the tablet, and he wrote, Call him John. And all of a sudden, his tongue was loosened, and he could speak again. And the first thing he did with his loosened tongue was to praise a God who had given him a baby boy, the forerunner of the Christ. Yes, Zacharias had his tongue loosened, but it was John the Baptist's tongue, his son's tongue, that was all the more important. With his tongue, he preached the message of repentance. He preached, Luke tells us in Luke 3, 2, the very word of God. He preached in the wilderness. He came around the Jordan River, and he preached to the people that they ought to repent, that they could be forgiven of their sins. He preached this baptism of repentance. He preached a hard word to ancient Israel. Don't claim to be descendants of Abraham. That won't do you any good. Why, God could take some of these stones. I, I imagine him reaching down, picking up stones. God could pick up some of these stones and create sons of Abraham. The axe is ready. It is already laid to the root of every tree that does not bear fruit. They'll be cut down and cast in the fire. He told them in the harshest words not to claim, on, not to claim their religious ancestry as their salvation, but rather it has nothing to do with Abraham, but rather their repentance from their sins. His preaching was so powerful 
and so poignant that some ask, is he the Christ? Is he himself the Messiah? Is he the one we've been waiting for? And John said, oh, no, I baptize you with water, yes, but there's one coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to bend down and touch his shoelaces, the thong of his sandal. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, he says. John was busy baptizing one day. And Jesus approached him, and John saw his cousin Jesus coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said to Jesus, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You ought to be baptizing me. Behold the very Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the world. He knew Jesus was the one to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, Luke doesn't make it as clear at this part in the life of John the baptizer, but Matthew makes it very clear that John the Baptist goes to prison. He goes to jail. Yes, he was a a preacher of fiery courage, and perhaps he had a little too much courage. King Herod had given in to the enticements of his own brother's wife, Herodias. He decided to trade in his wife for his sister-in-law. Why, the tattling tongues of antiquity loved the gossip, and they delighted in what was happening to Herod. But John was infuriated, and he denounced that relationship for what it was, adultery, he said. As a result, of his courageous preaching, his prophetic preaching, Herod locks him up in prison to shut him up. Now John, once the preacher of light, was now down in the darkness of the dungeon. Herodias, Herod's new wife, once sister-in-law, was infuriated about what John dare say about her and her relationship to her new husband, Herod. But Herod was afraid. He had heard about the power of John the Baptist, and he knew that John was a righteous man, a holy man, even if he did have a severe and truthful tongue. In fact, he even liked, according to Mark, Herod even liked listening to John preach. He was intrigued with the power of this preacher, this wilderness man, this wild man, this powerful prophet. It was at a birthday party. When everything went wrong, my, it was a party. It was King Herod's birthday party, and Herodias had her own daughter come in and dance. Dance for King Herod. Why, she danced in such a way that the king declared, man, that girl is something. I'll give you anything you want. It doesn't matter I'll give you up to half the kingdom for a dance like that. Men get carried away sometimes. They're willing to give up a lot when they watch the seductive swaying of a woman's body. Her mama told her what to ask for. You ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. She could now, once and for all, silence the prophet's wagging tongue. 
The king was sorry that he'd made the oath. He was sorry that he had said he would give Herodias' daughter anything she wanted up to half the kingdom, but he had said it, and he had said it in front of his banquet guest, his birthday banquet guest, and so he had to follow through. As much as he really liked John deep down, he had his head removed, placed on a platter, and brought it to Herodias' daughter, who in turn handed it over to a mother. That's a hard story, isn't it? Hard one to stomach because John dies in Herod lusts. A man of God is killed while a man of passion is winking at his sister-in-law and his niece. Where is God when the faithful find themselves down in the dungeon? Where is God in the midst of this story that started out so well with the miraculous birth of the baby boy, John, who was a forerunner of the Messiah, and now his head on a platter? It doesn't make sense to us when we read this story. It doesn't make sense to John either. Before Herod made the oath, John paces back and forth in prison and back and forth in prison. And the very one who had declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world begins to have some doubts down in the darkness of the dungeon. Why, look at Luke chapter 7, verse 19. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the expected one, or do we need to look for someone else? And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we need to look for someone else? Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one? Do we need to search for a new deliverer, a new anointed one, a new holy one of Israel? It doesn't seem to be playing out like I supposed. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now I'm in the dungeon. Are, are you really the one? It's a fair question. There will come a time in each of our lives when we ourselves are also down in the dungeon and we ask John's question, Jesus, are you, are you really the one? Or do I need to start looking for a new Messiah, a new Savior? When things are going wonderfully in our lives, it's easy to trust God. When our plans are going as we desire, then it's quite easy to call Jesus Lord, to know he's the Messiah. But when we ourselves find the dungeon, the dungeon of darkness and doubt, we too are likely to turn to him and say, now I just need to hear it again. Are you really the Messiah? Things aren't unfolding as I imagined. We're way off track from the script I've written. Are you really the one? 
For if we need to start looking for another, we need to know it. What took you yourself to the dungeon? Was it a phone call? Your daughter's down here at the station. We think you need to come down here. Was it a letter on the kitchen table? I've left. It's over. Don't try to reach me. We're done. I just don't love you anymore. Was it a diagnosis from a doctor? I'm afraid our news is not good news. Was it a telegram one day? We regret to inform you that your son is missing in action. When the news comes, God is all of a sudden not so easily seen. The view of God that had been so crisp and so clear changes. You turn to look and to search for God, but now everything seems distorted. It's changed. It's hard to see God in the midst of the pain, the pain of your heart, to see God when you yourself are now down in the dungeon. How could God allow this to happen to the forerunner of the Messiah? How's God allowing me to be in Herod's dungeon for preaching the truth he called me to preach? It's what John wanted to know. Sometimes we ask the same question as well. How could this possibly be? We all have an agenda for God. If God is God, then, and then we assign God the job description that we ourselves have written for him. If God is God, then, if God is God, then there'll be no financial hardship in my life. If God is God, then I'll never bury my children before I die. If God is God, then people will always treat me fairly. If God is God, then my life's journey will stay on the path of my dream. These expectations we formulate within ourselves of God, whether we write them down and notarize them or not, we have them, we have them in our head, and sometimes they're unspoken even to ourselves. And so when the dungeon time comes, when the pain is upon us, it's hard. Are you really the one? Doesn't much seem like it anymore. I can't find you in the pain. Should I start my search for a new Messiah, a new Christ, a new deliverer? Congregation, you may be wandering in the dungeon right now and pondering in your own heart, is Jesus really Jesus? 
And so, why do I find myself in the stench of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the throes of divorce? Why have I heard the word cancer, they might ask? A Mississippi preacher in Jan Karen's at home at Midford, the novel, the Mississippi preacher says, everybody is trying to swallow something that won't go down. Everybody is trying to swallow something that won't go down. We all experience something in our lives that is just too big to swallow, just too painful to ponder. And if you're not experiencing the dampness and darkness of the dungeon today, you will. And when you can't swallow it, you will ask, are you really the one? Or should we be looking for another? Jesus, if you're really Jesus, then why the pain? Why the suffering? Why the sorrow? Why the death? Why the divorce? Why the layoffs? Why, 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 we ask. Have you ever noticed in Scripture that all God's children have their trials? If you're Jonah, you got to gurgle around in the belly of a fish for a while. If your name is Noah, you've got to build an ark in the midst of the sneers and the cheers of the people. If your name is Jacob, then you're going to have to wrestle with an angel in the night. Why God breathes on Isaiah and he strips off his clothes and walks around the town naked and barefoot for three years. God breathes on Ruth and she's widowed and departed from her familiar native Moab to an unknown land of Judah. God breathes on Paul and he's headed one way and he gets a Macedonia call and he has to change his journey completely. And God breathed on you and, and God breathed on you and Jesus didn't say, come and follow me and I'll make you feel good. He didn't say, come and follow me and I'll make you rich or I'll make you successful. He said, come and follow me. If you plan on doing that, bring a cross. It's a painful journey to follow the one who's crucified. So this morning, perhaps we pace back and forth with John the Baptist and we ask, we look to Jesus in the midst of our chaotic world and all the suffering and uncertainty and we say, man, are you really the one? This is not at all what we planned for the month of June. July is not looking much better. Are you really the one? What about all the plans we had for you and with you, and now everything has changed? Can we be sure? Are you the Christ, or do we need to begin looking for another? 
We learn some things from this text. First of all, we cannot redefine what it means for Jesus to be Jesus based upon our own desires. We cannot redefine what it means for Jesus to be Jesus based upon our own wishes. Jesus is co-creator with God. We do not create him. John has his doubts, sends the disciples, hey, hey, John's wanting to know now, are you really the one? For Jesus to be Lord means, for Jesus to be Lord means, how do we finish that? That my business won't fail, that my biopsy will be clear, And when he doesn't live within our own expectations, our own definition of what the Messiah ought to be and should be in our lives, then we ask the question, are you the Messiah or do we need to begin looking for another? Look at verse 19. I I love what Luke does. He does a little play here. And summoning two of his disciples, John the Baptist sent them to the Lord. I'm glad he didn't say just Jesus there. Luke has no doubt that he's the Lord. John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one in my life? The second thing we see is a dungeon does cause doubts. If God is good and God is powerful, then why all this suffering? I don't know your pain this morning. I do know whatever you had planned, you've changed your plans. I can testify everybody in this room has altered plans in life in June of 2020. I don't know what causes you to look at the Holy One of Israel enjoying his cousin John and saying, can you really save me? Or do I need to make some other plans? Are you really the one who baptizes with fire? And the Holy Spirit. Among God's people, there is so much suffering this morning. Much told and even more untold. And sorry for all the suffering this morning. Because when we're down in the dungeon, sometimes our vision of God is unclear. Here's the third thing I want you to see. Jesus is the Messiah based on his own terms. Jesus is Lord, number three. Luke tells us there, John sent them to the Lord. Jesus is Lord. Turn back to just a few chapters. Turn back to Luke chapter four. In Luke chapter four, we have the programmatic sermon for the whole gospel of Luke. This is probably the most important passage in all of Luke's gospel. It, it sets the tone. You remember Jesus has entered the synagogue and they've been reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah 61. And Jesus took the book of the prophet Isaiah, verse 17, it's handed to him and he opens the scroll and he found the place where it is written, the spirit of God is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he rolls up the scroll, verse 20. 
He gave it back to the synagogue attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue are upon this rabbi who's just read Isaiah, and he began to say to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled as you hear me read these words. It's that programmatic sermon, that preaching of our Lord, that first sermon in Nazareth, and the synagogue where he reads the prophet Isaiah, and he says, I am the one. All these things are happening, and therefore I am the Christ. It is all fulfilled today. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, reading Isaiah. He has anointed me. I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm going to release the captives, he says. The blind will now see. I'm going to set free the downtrodden. I'm going to declare the favorable year of the Lord. Today has been fulfilled. Now turn over back to Luke chapter 7. If you don't know Luke 4, you can't make sense of what Jesus says in Luke 7. So they come to him in verse 20 and they ask, Are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Verse 21, at that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirit, and he granted sight to many who were blind. And Jesus says to the disciples of John the Baptist, you go and you report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind are receiving sight, the lame are leaping, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Yeah, John wants to know if I'm really the one. You go take John back a word. You tell him those with dark eyes have the explosion of light. You tell him that those who could not walk the lame, they now leap. You tell him the lepers are now spotless. You tell him the ears of the deaf are flooded with sounds. You tell him even those once dead are being raised. And you tell him the poor folk now have good news. In other words, I am he. All that the prophet Isaiah had said would happen when the Messiah had would arrive has occurred. Not everyone is healed, not all the dead raised, not yet. But in God's time and in God's way, those selected in his sovereignty are experiencing the presence of the Messiah. Here's the fourth thing I want to say. Jesus doesn't rebuke John for his doubt, for his dungeon experience. In fact, you'll notice Jesus says in Luke 7, 26, what did you go out to see when they went to hear John? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And one who's more than a prophet, this is about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. He's... The forerunner. Of all those born of women, there's no one greater. Now, sometimes it's dangerous for us to go a long time without hardship. Dr. Robert Simpson sees 
that on the coastline of Florida, former director of the National Hurricane Center in Miami, he said, it's a very dangerous thing to go a long time between hurricanes because then incredulous people, non-believers, those who do not believe in the power of a hurricane, well, they start building in dangerous places and well, they fail to take precautions when we tell them the storms are headed their way. We live in absolute ignorance until life is changed by something we didn't plan on, something we couldn't foresee. And then we say, are you really the one? Or do I need to start a search for a new Jesus? Ronald Prince, on Wednesday afternoon, once pastor of the First Baptist Church of Cleburne. Wednesday afternoon is when secretaries are pushing preachers to turn in their sermon title and text. It was so then, it is so now. The Spirit of God can move anytime He wishes as long as He's on the bulletin by Wednesday with the secretary. She was pushing Him. He handed in his text and title that Wednesday and continued to study. And then there was a knock at his study door. It was one of those times when he wasn't supposed to be bothered because he was studying, getting ready for his sermon, unless it was something really important. And his secretary said, I really think you need to take this call. The nurse at the school says, your daughter, Joy, has a fever. They couldn't find his wife. She'd gone to the grocery store. So the preacher, Ronald Prince, got into his car, First Baptist Church at Cleburne. He drove to the school not too far away from the church. He picked up his daughter. Then he swung by home, hoping to find his wife back from the store. And she was. And why, in those days in that town, the doctor came by the house to check on their daughter, Joy. And the fever had not gone down. Rather, the fever had gone up. Now it was 104. The doctor said, we have a race on our hands. They headed straight for the hospital 60 miles away. In the hospital, as a pastor prayed for Joy, the worst happened. She died later, it was discovered, from a viral sleeping sickness. I can't imagine having this much courage. I've preached the funeral of all four of my grandparents, but Ronald Prince preached the funeral of his daughter, Joy. As remarkable as that is, more remarkable is he got up into the pulpit to preach the sermon he had already written, text and title, before the instant. He got up that Sunday morning in the pulpit and preached a sermon entitled, Have You Lost Your Joy? Jesus is the Messiah in the midst of our suffering. No, Jesus is the Messiah, especially in our suffering. Jesus is the Messiah, even when we're down in the dungeon. And Jesus is the Messiah, even when we've lost our joy. Let us pray. Oh God, we're not looking for anyone else. Your Son is the Holy One of Israel.
the Lord of the cosmos, co-creator, the one who died for our sins, rose again, is coming again for his church. And so if we ask, are you really the one? We're reminded today, he is worthy. He is the one. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.